0: Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Lone Star Gun Talk, and I am your host, as always, Derek Wills. Welcome, everybody, to the show, and a special welcome to the new listeners that I've got uh, that I've gained over the past week and a half or two weeks. Um, things have just been blowing up like crazy with this podcast, and it's all because of y'all. I am so thankful for each and every one of y'all. Um, that this little podcast that started in the early, first week of July now has spread like crazy. Um, I am looking at my statistics here for the downloads, and I this podcast is now international. For being a podcast focused on gun rights in Texas from an organization whose sole mission in life is to get constitutional carry passed in Texas, it is incredible to know that I am, because of y'all, this podcast is going international. I have actually two listeners in Canada, one in Germany, one in the UK, and one in South Africa. That's fantastic. I never would have thought that seven episodes in that we would be heard all over the world. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing with everybody. Thank you for listening and subscribing. And it really does mean the world to me. And I really, really appreciate it. So starting with the news of the day, uh, last week had a couple of Interesting stories out of both out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that I want to get to. And they kind of epitomize exactly what this show's about. I sign off every week by saying, arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo. And that's exactly what this is for. The first one is an open carry activist in Milwaukee was detained by law enforcement for open carrying at the Milwaukee County Zoo. And his name is William Polster. And he is a, uh, he's quite a vocal guy. He has his own YouTube channel where he was doing open carry walks and, and things like that. Uh, and in one video in particular, he was detained for open carrying uh, a rifle and a pistol. And he was disarmed at gunpoint. And the way he handled it was fantastic, and I would expect no nothing else with this incident here. So William Polster shows up to the to the Milwaukee County Zoo on Wednesday, I believe. Yeah, Wednesday, and he had his forty five caliber Glock on his hip. I can only assume it was a Glock uh, twenty one, and he was there because it was his girlfriend's birthday. And he open carries as always. He is an open carry advocate up there. And uh, from what I can tell, he seems to be pretty well known up in the Milwaukee area. When sheriffs came up to detain him, he started recording. And he apparently records everything. I saw on his YouTube channel that he recorded even just a regular incident with a uh, Chili's waiter who was basically asking him about guns, you know, asking him, you know, how he gets into it, what he needs to start buying, and things like that. And he nodded over to his camera and they start having a conversation about why he's recording. And he goes in to say, I record everywhere I go because if somebody wants to say that they have file, you know, somebody wants to say that I threatened them or whatever, I have video backup. And, and that's, fantastic. He's, he's doing everything right. He's protecting himself both from people that want to do him harm as well as those that just hate guns, hate seeing them and want to throw everybody that has one in jail. So he's at the, at the zoo and some deputies approach him and detain him saying that he's not allowed to open carry in the zoo. And he says, that's not correct. State law says that I can. And after over an hour, law enforcement says, you know what? You're right. Have a wonderful day. The the law in Wisconsin says that uh, while the zoo can ban firearms in certain buildings, they cannot ban it in public grounds, which is what he was on. So anywhere outside in the zoo, He's allowed to open carry wherever he wants. Whenever he goes into a building, it's a different story. Because he knew the law and he knew how to interact with law enforcement, he was able to defuse the situation without there being a situation. This is one thing that is incredibly important for everybody. Do not think that law enforcement is just out to get you. Most cops are good cops. There are some bad cops, but most cops are good cops. And they might not know the law. They just know what they're being told, and they respond appropriately. I didn't see the video of this particular instance at the Milwaukee Zoo, but I did see one that he had posted a couple of years ago, where he's out in walking in a park, and uh, two... Two deputies approach him, one of them with an M4, you know, raised at him. And, uh, he handled it beautifully. Uh, he, he cursed a little bit while the gun was being aimed at him. And I can understand that's a bit nerve wracking, especially when you're not doing anything wrong. But the way he handled it was fantastic. He's, you know, he's telling the deputies how to take it off of his sling. He's telling him, you know, uh, I have one in the chamber, you know, his hands are out to his sides. It, it's 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 great. And as he's interacting with him, he's letting the police officers talk, not just cutting them off saying, You're wrong, you're wrong. State law says this, you're wrong, stop it. He lets them finish and then he says, Look, state law says this, and that omits the county ordinance that you're trying to enforce. And they ended up, in that particular instance, they ended up leaving him with a warning as well. And, uh, well, they didn't leave him with a warning at the incident at the zoo, they just let him go. But you could see how, depending on how he would have acted, even though he was in the right the entire time, could have had drastically different circumstances. So it's important, there's a few things that I want people to take away from this. One, it is super important that you understand and know the law. I keep the entire penal code on my phone should I ever need it. And I study it on occasion, especially whenever there are changes to laws after a legislative session, Uh, in particular areas as it relates to carrying of firearms. I brush up on it as much as I can. And you also have to realize that While law enforcement is there to enforce the law, they can't possibly know every law that's on the books. So it is important to know that whenever they're coming to enforce a law that's incorrect, it's important to know how to act and diffuse that situation. You don't want things to get worse. The way that he handled the one in the video from a couple years ago, it was flawless. He, after they disarmed him, he, you know, he made it clear to the officers. He's like, look, I'm not going to fight you all on this, but you are wrong. And I'm going to show you where you're wrong after you disarm me for your own safety. And then afterwards they gave him his guns back and he was fine. Don't pop off to the police because they are, more often than not, not out out to get you. Some might be, in which case, you know, go along with it because the last thing you want, they can come up with charges that you are guilty of and uh, hit you with that even if nothing else can stick. So play it safe and protect yourself. If you feel more comfortable recording the incident, then by all means record it just like this guy does. The other story out of Milwaukee is kind of a lesson on what not to do. Now, on its face, this story seems like what to do, but there, there is a problem with it. The headline is Teach Them a Lesson, Concealed Carry Holder Fire Shots as Thieves Try to Steal His Vehicle. And it is it's a fantastic piece with a good outcome. But he did a lot wrong, and I'm going to explain why. So as it turns out, on Friday morning, August 18th, at around 5 a.m., a woman was awakened by the sounds of, of people breaking into her brother's car. And she informed her brother, who then grabbed his handgun and went outside. This is where I take exception with how he handled it. From the article, it says, the woman said her 24-year-old brother confronted them and fired warning shots. Warning shots are a big, big no-no. Only left-wing liberals who don't understand guns think that warning shots are a good idea. Here's what people need to understand. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but in case we got some gun control nuts listening, pay attention. When you squeeze the trigger, you are responsible for every round that leaves your muzzle. If it goes someplace that it's not supposed to, that is on you as the gun owner. That is on you as the person who is operating the gun. Warning shots, you have no idea where they will end up. According to the article, he shot four or five times, and one of them ended up in his own windshield. Now, I don't know if he was actually shooting at them and just missed. I also don't know if the story is actually accurate in that he was firing warning shots at them. For one, warning shots should never be allowed, but... I don't know why you would fire warning shots as if you were shooting downrange, which is what it sounds like he was doing if one ended up in his windshield. The, The reason that warning shots are so incredibly dangerous is because they could hit somebody that is an innocent bystander. They could cause property damage to somebody else's property. And if you shoot them into the ground, you have no idea what's buried under there. You could end up hitting a gas line or anything. Do not ever participate in firing warning shots. The only time that you squeeze the trigger in a situation like this is if you feel that, one, you absolutely have to. Uh, Deadly Force is authorized. You see opportunity, capability, and intent the Deadly Force Triangle made. And... You are aiming for center mass. Now, if you are not aware, center mass, by its definition, is the center of the largest area of ex- that is exposed at the target. So, if you're shooting at a silhouette target, center mass is going to be the center of the torso area. But it doesn't have to be that area. It depends on what you can see. So, if all you can see is the guy's head, and you are in, an, in a situation where you have to use deadly force, then you aim for the center of his head. The reason that you don't aim for appendages or fire warning shots, for one, if you fire, whenever you're in a high-stress situation, you are not going to be able to aim as well as you think you can. If you are shooting tight groups at the, at the range, spread them out a lot. Because whenever you add the adrenaline flowing through your veins and the, the high-stress situation that is on you, you are thinking as instinctively as possible at that point. And while you may, by habit, acquire proper sight picture and you squeeze the trigger straight back, Unless you practice that regularly, it's not going to be second nature. So whenever you have to to fire at somebody, whenever you factor in the high stress and the adrenaline, your accuracy is going to be off. When you do train as much as you can, as much as humanly possible, your accuracy is still going to be off, though it will be to a lesser extent. The reason that you do not fire at appendages is because it is not center mass. It is a smaller target to shoot. Because it is a smaller target and your accuracy is affected just given the gravity of the situation, that means that you should not shoot at it. You shoot at what is the largest area of the target that is available. And another thing, all of these people that criticize for shooting somebody eight, nine times in a situation like this, has no idea what it means to be behind the trigger in a situation like that. You are not counting rounds. You are wanting to see that threat be neutralized. You are wanting to see him fall and not get up to become a threat again. You are not unloading lead into him in order to kill him. What you are doing is you are unloading lead into the center of the target to neutralize it and stop the threat. It just so happens that him dying is a byproduct of that. It is important that everybody understand this because people do not... People people start saying shoot to kill. That's not true. You never shoot to kill. You shoot to to disable the threat. And by aiming at center of mass... Chances are they're going to die from it. But you don't shoot with the intention on killing them. That is my rant for the left-wing liberals who don't understand gun ownership and proper employment of deadly force. While this story did have a happy ending in that all three suspects were apprehended and nobody died and nobody was injured, take notice of the things that I've said uh, about this because he handled this completely wrong. He could have inadvertently killed somebody else. He could have uh, damaged property that he is now responsible for, which is a better outcome than killing somebody else. However, you do not, I repeat, you do not want to be responsible for an innocent person dying because of your negligence. And that's all I'm going to say about this story. I hope that you took notes. I hope that you took a little bit of what I said to, to heart, because it is really important. Now I'm going to head south to Florida. There is a an Uber driver in South Florida who is filing who has filed a class action lawsuit against the company Uber because of their policy that prohibits drivers from carrying a weapon even if they are legally allowed to do so now on its face i thought that this lawsuit's going nowhere because employee employers have the right to set their own um, policies about their employees and If the employees don't like it, they can move someplace else. You know, that's capitalism, and that's I'm a huge fan of capitalism. But then I started thinking about it more, and especially as it pertains to Uber's business model. Uber drivers are not sitting in a company vehicle. It is their own property. And, yeah, they are using uh, the company to make money, by engaging in ride-sharing. But the more I thought about it, the more I think that he might have a case because it's not like you're working at, oh, I don't know, NOV or uh, Halliburton or Shell or wherever, and you have a a storefront or an office that you go to and they say, we don't want our employees caring. It, it, that, to an extent, makes... Makes sense as far as a company policy. Not that I would ever engage in such a policy, but because it's like they're saying, we don't want you to carry, and it's our property. You have to not carry. Okay, but when Uber drivers are driving, they're not driving assets owned by Uber. They're driving their own personal vehicles. It's their property, and they're driving on public roads. And the more I thought about it, the more I think... This guy might have a case, especially given why he's what he's citing. you know he is licensed by the state of Florida to carry a handgun, and he has been driving for a year and a half, but apparently, last December, there was an incident with another Uber driver that made him say, "I need to be able to carry," according to this story, quote. The turning point, Mejia said, was an incident last December when a different Uber driver was robbed at gunpoint during a ride. A van cornered the Toyota on the William Lehman Causeway in Adventura, but the Uber driver pulled out his own weapon and killed one of the two suspects on the spot. Mejia says, imagine if he had not had his weapon. He wouldn't be alive today. The passenger wouldn't be alive today. And then what's Uber going to do? Issue a statement of apologies and that's it? What about his family? Now, he makes valid points. I, I mean, this is why if I owned a business, I would, I would, allow, I would encourage my employees to carry. But I do believe that employers have the right to say otherwise. But the caveat is this. They are not in company property. All they are doing is utilizing the company's software to engage in ride-sharing commerce. And I think that this man has a case to sue the crap out of Uber and win. Because no property of Uber's is in play here. And property rights are typically what everything boils down to, isn't it? As asinine as I believe it is to ban somebody from carrying a firearm on your property, I do believe that everybody has the right to, to do that. I think they have the right to say, I don't like guns and I don't want you carrying on here. Because their property is their dominion. It is their business or their home or their whatever. It, the thing is, it belongs to them. And I don't have the right to encroach upon their right to run their property how they see fit. But when it comes to this case and Uber, I don't think that Uber has a leg to stand on really. Yeah, they have a policy that says we don't want our drivers carrying weapons, but to be completely honest, they don't have a dog in the fight. The only thing that they are u- allowing to be used is their software. And yeah, whenever they accept a ride, their ride is being insured by Uber. But even still, it's not their property. It'll be interesting to see how this uh, lawsuit plays out. Um, I, I really do hope that it does not come down to a settlement. Uh, and if it does, I, I hope that Uber changes this policy. Because, let's face it, anything can happen, especially whenever you're driving people around at 2, 3 in the morning, you might need it. And I fully support this lawsuit, and I hope, that, I hope that he gets them to change their policy. Not necessarily hoping that he gets a multi-million dollar payout out of it, but it is a class action lawsuit, so hopefully it will just be a policy change type outcome. And that's, that would be great news. The last story that I want to talk about is what is happening in Oregon. Now, I talked about the New York SAFE Act two weeks ago, about a a Vietnam veteran who had his weapons confiscated wrongfully under New York SAFE Act. And the state of Oregon has just enacted a new bill that is very similar, but in many ways worse than New York. And it would allow for the confiscation of firearms based on a single complaint that raised concerns about somebody's mental health or if they are planning on doing something bad or whatever. Fill in the blank, right? It's a pretty broad law, and it's just been signed by the Oregon governor. The, obviously, there are many problems with this. If somebody is uh, issued a, an order under this law, and they, their firearms are seized, they will have 30 days to request a hearing in an attempt to regain the possession of their seized firearms. Oh, yeah, it's more of this guilty until proven innocent crap. And also, but the bill does have this. It says that uh, if somebody files a fake protection order, they could face up to you a year in jail. Well, how can you prove that it's fake? I mean, if... If somebody is issued an order of mental defectiveness or whatever it is under this law and somebody files an appeal in 30 days and says I'm not mentally defective how are you going to prove that the other person didn't think that they were mentally defective that'll be the easy cop out for them they'll just be like oh I swear I thought he was actually going you know going crazy I mean you can't blame me for it I mean who who has so many guns? What could he possibly need more guns for? And then it'll just be oh okay, you just you just made him spend months out of his life proving his innocence, and there's nothing that we can do because your feelings were hurt, and you you believed that he would do something even though you had nothing to base that on. I this bill is this new law. It's a law now. <laughs> it is so atrocious and awful. I just, I feel bad for anybody in Oregon outside of the Portland area. Because let's face it, Oregon outside of Portland is a beautiful state and home to many red-blooded American patriots. And it it breaks my heart to see this. It's the same thing in New York. Outside of New York City, plenty of red-blooded American patriots. But those two cities control each of their respective states and crap like this becomes law and nobody fights for it i mean i don't understand how this can happen over and over and over again and nobody has filed a lawsuit con- challenging the constitutionality of it i it's i'm just beside myself whenever i see things like this and you know the the governor's uh what's her name kate brown she she does her typical liberal crap that says that, you know, every, this is a good bill. Check this out. During the legislative process, Brown expressed her support for the bill, calling it a, quote, common-sense, life-saving bill that will help pr- protect Oregon's women and children by closing the boyfriend loophole, preventing convicted stalkers from buying or possessing guns, and keeping guns out of the wrong hands. I don't know what this boyfriend loophole crap is, but it sounds it sounds stupid. <laughs> this whole bill is asinine and will not do anything to protect women and children. All it's going to do is inconvenience the law-abiding citizens in Oregon who like their Second Amendment rights. That's That's all it boils down to. If you know somebody in Oregon... Please let them know that my heart is with them and uh, I feel sorry for them and tell them to come down to Texas. We'll we'll eventually get our act together at some point, but um, you know we're still way better off than, than people are in Oregon or New York. But uh, anyway, that's going to do it for me. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Share it with your friends. And... Until next Sunday, Low Star Gunners, arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo. Thank you.